Amen. Book of Psalms this evening, once again, Psalm 119. And I think this is number 20, which means we're getting close. Section number 20, and then we'll just have two more Wednesday nights here in Psalm 119. Hopefully you haven't grown too tired of it. There's a lot of repetition here in Psalm 119. A lot of verses that are very similar, and really the subject matter throughout Psalm 119 is pretty much the same, pretty much unchanged. Speaking of the Word of God, the psalmist's focus on the Word of God and the things, the trials, the affliction, as he refers to it, that he experienced in his life. But really, the the entire book of Psalms, Psalm 119, is one of those psalms in particular that if we'll spend some time meditating in, spend some time dwelling there, we'll find a lot of things that apply to us on a daily basis, a lot of things that you and I face, a lot of troubles and trials, and a lot of help that is there. I was at one of the monthly preacher meetings here in the state of Arkansas yesterday, and the pastor that got up uh, second yesterday morning, he was preaching from Psalm 116, which is just a couple pages over in your Bible. And Psalm 116, verse number one says, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. And so he preached a message and he, he started out by asking us why we love the Lord. And Psalm 116 there, the psalmist goes on and explains why he loves God and talks about just the benefits and the blessings that God has brought to his life and what he will do in response. And that was, that was a helpful message. It was a blessing to hear. But you know, really, all of the book of Psalms is full of passages like that that speak to us right where we are. And this evening, this section that we're going to look at is no different. It speaks of a lot of topics, a lot of things that you and I, if we'll examine our own lives and try to make application, we'll find that we live a life very similar in a lot of ways to the psalmist here. Psalm 119, verse number 153, he says, Consider mine affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget thy law. Plead my cause and deliver me, quicken me according to thy word. Salvation is far from the wicked. For they seek not thy statutes. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgments. Many are my persecutors and mine enemies. Yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. This evening we're going to think about the thought that God's word, thy word, is my confidence. My confidence. And you'll notice in this passage that David, he writes, he prays, he's asking God, and twice in this passage he asks God to consider. Consider mine affliction... And deliver me. Verse 159, he says, God, consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. 
And you'll notice how he ends the psalm in verse number 160 with this declaration, this exclamation of confidence in God and in his word. He says there, thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. You know, if we think about this life, we think about the things of life, there's really not much, maybe there's really not anything in this life that we can place confidence in but for God. But for the things that God has said, the things that God has declared, there's really not anything that we can have confidence in other than maybe death and taxes. You know, those are two things that we can also have confidence in. They're going to stick around. One day we're going to face death and taxes. You know, the government, somebody in charge is always going to find a way to tax us even more. But, you know, God's word is really that which we can have confidence in. And this evening, that's where the psalmist's heart was. First of all, this evening, we're going to think about, we're going to notice from the text, his requests. Because really, a lot of this is a prayer to God. This Psalm 119, in large part, is a written-out prayer to God. And this section is no different. The first request that we'll notice here is in verse number 153. And he, he kind of makes a couple requests here. First of all, he says, Consider mine affliction. And deliver me, for I do not forget thy law. That word consider means to fix the mind upon, with a view to careful examination, to think on with care, to ponder, to study, to meditate on. And here David is crying out to God, and he asks God, he says, God, consider mine affliction. He says, God, I want you to to look at the situations that I'm going through, this affliction that I am living through, and God, I want you to fix your mind upon it. I want you to view with careful examination the trouble, the trial that I am going through. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing. David here, he asks God to do this. And you know, it's an amazing thing that God had considered David's affliction. That God knew exactly where David was. He knew the troubles that David was facing when he penned this portion of Psalm 119. We don't know exactly what David is referring to here when he says, mine affliction. We can look back in the accounts of Scripture and find many times, many afflictions that David faced. But I'm sure that there are some that are not recorded for us. And I'm certain that we don't know exactly which one he is referring to in this passage. But God knows the intimate details of David's life. God not only knows that, he knows where David is headed from when he penned this. But David cries out and he asks God to consider. It's a wonderful thing that God would ever consider anything having to do with you and I. That God would stop, that he would acquaint himself with the details of my life. That's an amazing thing. The God of the universe is intimately acquainted with me. He knows what happened to me today. He knew the things that I would face today. The troubles that would cause me to call out to him today. He knew that before they ever happened. And his grace was there. It was sufficient. It was available. What a, what a wonderful truth. What a blessing to think about the fact that God is willing to consider 
our afflictions. In Psalm 8, verse number 4, if you hold your place here, Psalm 8, it's probably a verse that you're familiar with. David cries out to God here in Psalm 8. And in verse number 3, he says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. You know, it's interesting how David phrases it there in verse number 3. When I consider thy heavens... You'll notice how he refers to the heavens. The work of what? Thy fingers. Now, what kind of tasks do you use your fingers for? If you're going to go out and dig a massive ditch, is that the work of your fingers? And maybe if, you're, uh, if you have enough money to rent a backhoe. Or maybe the work of your fingers as you dial the phone number for somebody with a backhoe to come... Right? No, the work of thy fingers, that's, that's like small work. That's detail work. The heavens are the, the detail work of God. Now, what does that make you and I? If the heavens are like the detail work, how insignificant, how minuscule, how small are you and I? You go out and you look at the night sky and just how vast it is, and it Each one of those little pinpricks of light is another celestial body or another galaxy or another sun or moon or star. It just blows your mind to think. And you're just this tiny little speck on this tiny little planet called Earth in the middle of this massive galaxy. I think it's the the Creation Science Museum up in Cincinnati. And if you ever get a a chance to go up there. Maybe it's not in Cincinnati, in Kentucky, near Cincinnati. And they have a planetarium there. And they do this presentation where they, you lay on your back and you look up at the ceiling and they project the galaxies up on the ceiling above you. And they begin zooming out and zooming out and zooming out. And they just show you how small Earth is in comparison to the nearest stars. And it just, your mind starts to melt after a while. Because of how massive and immense the creation of God is. And that caused David, as he thought about that, to cry out to God, What is man that thou art mindful of him? That God would consider you and I. That he would listen to our prayers. That he would consider mine affliction. It's an amazing thought. David was confident that the affliction that he was under was not something that was due to his sin. You'll notice his request there in verse 153. He says, consider mine affliction and deliver me. He was asking for God to come and to scrutinize his life, to consider, to examine, to look, to see. He says, God, deliver me. David knew that the affliction that he was under, it wasn't something that God was going to hold on his life, but he he desired for God to come and deliver him. You'll notice why. Why do I say that? The end of verse number 153, he says, For I do not forget thy law. He points out to God, he says, God, I've been righteous. I've been upright. I've been ordering my life according to your word. I haven't forgotten your law. God, consider mine affliction. It's unjust. It's uncalled for. It's unwarranted. God, consider it 
and deliver me, I pray. So we see his first request there that God would consider his affliction and deliver him. But second of all, in verse number 154, he cries out to God again in a similar fashion. But this time he asks God, he says, plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me according to thy word. You see, in the midst of his deep affliction, David cries out to the only one upon whom he can trust for help and deliverance. He asks God there, he says, plead my cause. He asks God to take up his case. He asks for God to become his advocate, to fight for him, if you will. He asks for God to step in and to handle things for him. Plead my case and deliver me. Deliver me. Once again, as is so often spoken in Psalm 119, David again cries out, asking that God would quicken him. Quicken me according to thy word. We've talked about this word quicken often. Quicken means to make alive, to revive, to cheer, to reinvigorate, to refresh by new supplies of comfort or grace. And in the middle of his affliction, in the middle of Going through this trial and trouble, David finds himself dragging. He finds himself being worn down. He finds himself unable to fight, unable to fix the circumstances. He asks for deliverance. He asks for God to step in and plead his cause. And he asks for God to quicken him, to revive him, to cheer him, to reinvigorate him, to refresh him. And you'll notice how he asks God to do that. How he asked God to come and make him alive, give him new life, revive him, quicken me according to what? According to thy word. He asked for God to keep his promises. He asked for God to come in and according to his word, bring him new life. You know, you and I, we have the opportunity to be quickened, to be made alive by the word of God. The word become flesh by Jesus Christ you and I have the opportunity to have the Word quicken us. But not only that, as Christians, you and I have the opportunity for God's Word to quicken us. Just as David here asked for God to quicken him according to his Word. So you and I, we can avail ourselves of the power of God's Word. It's not a dead book. It's not a dry, dusty book that sits on the shelf like other books from thousands and thousands of years ago. No. It's alive. The Holy Spirit is well able to take God's word and to administer it to our hearts. You know, the book of Psalms is full of verses that can do just that. When, like David, you find yourself drugged down by the trials and troubles of life, and you, you cry out to God, you ask for deliverance, you ask him to quicken you according to his word, God is faithful to bring promises. He's faithful to bring verses to our mind and to strengthen us, to quicken us, to make us alive. So we see David's second request there in verse number 154. But then we'll jump down to verse number 156 and see the third request that he makes here. In 156, he cries out to God and says, Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. And once again, he asks for quickening. Quicken me according, this time, to thy judgments. Quicken me according to to thy judgments. Now that's an interesting request. God, make me alive. Strengthen me according 
to your judgments. Now, when I think of the judgments of God, the things that God judicially declares, that's kind of a scary thing to think about. And a scary thing to pray and to ask God, hey, God, quicken me according to thy judgments? Whew. You better make sure that that's what's going to happen. That you're in a place where if God judges, that it will be quickening and not the opposite of quickening. Right? Because if I stand before God myself, in my own righteousness, in my own sin, my own heart laid bare, God quickens or God judges me, that's not a quickening event. That's a, a hurtful event. That is a judgmental event. That is an event that requires me to pay for my sin for all of eternity. But you'll notice, he doesn't just ask God, God, just judge me. Quicken me according to thy judgments. But notice how he asks. The beginning of verse number 156, he points out, first of all, great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. He's asking for the judgment of God to quicken him, but according, not just to God's judgment, but according also to God's mercy. You see, David recognized he wasn't calling out for God's full judgment, for God's full righteous judgment um, on his sins without any help. He recognized that he was a sinner. He cries out to God, great are thy tender mercies. He knew he's trying to follow God's path. He's trying to walk after God. His desire is to live according to God's commandments, according to God's word, according to God's statutes. But he recognizes fully that he needs the mercy of God, the tender mercies of God. You know, when you think about the mercies of God, they are great. The mercy of God is vast. It is unimaginable, undefinable, really, when we think about the mercy of God towards you and I. Where would we be without God's mercy? We'd be lost forever. We would be damned for our sins. We would have no hope but for the mercies of God. David cries out in the situation that he is facing, and he asks for God to judge he asks for God to judge those around him that are treating him wrongly, those that are living against God's ways. David recognizes, though, that he's in need of God's great mercy. If you hold your place here and turn over to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse number 8. Speaking of the mercy of God, David here says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. We can all say amen there. He has not dealt with us after our sins. Amen. I'm thankful for that. 
If he had, I wouldn't be here. I would be dead. He goes on, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions, transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. You know, David recognized that he was one who was in need of God's mercy. He was thankful for it. And so here he prays, he asks God to quicken him according to his judgments. While reminding God of his tender mercies, thanking him for them. So we see his request there in verse number 156. And then the last request that we'll notice this evening is in verse number 159, where once again David cries out to God and asks for quickening. Three times in this short section, he asks for God to quicken him, to make him alive. In verse number 159, consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. Now this one is interesting, because here he cries out to God, and he asks for God to consider him once again. God, consider, consider how I love thy precepts. That's a tough prayer to pray. To really pray that to God in all honesty. God, consider how I love thy precepts. Now, does God know how David has been loving his precepts? Yeah. God knows more than David does about how much David loves his precepts. He, so he's crying out to God. He's asking God, God, behold, look, examine, put under the microscope my love for you, my love for your word. Examine it and see how I love thy precepts. Based on that, then, quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. You'll notice once again, he's asking God to quicken him. But this time he cries out and he says, God, quicken me according to what? Thy loving kindness. It's a synonym of mercy. A synonym that tells us, that speaks to us of the loving favor, the tender regard, the mercy that God has. And David here he asks for God to consider his love. God, check up. See how I've been living for you. The love that I have for you. The love that I have for your word. And God, quicken me according to that. But God, don't, don't leave without. Don't try to examine me. Don't consider this without your loving kindness. David was, he was confident. He was confident that he had love for God. He was confident that he had a love for God's word 
But he wasn't arrogant about it. He wasn't coming and saying, oh yeah, God, look at how, how pure and holy I am. No. That's not his attitude at all. His attitude is one of humility. His attitude is one of recognizing, God, I've been living for you. My desire, my love is after your precepts, but God, I need you to quicken me according to your loving kindness. I still need your mercy because as good as I might be, I still fail. I'm still not perfect. I'm still not all that I should be. And he asked for God to quicken him, for God to make him alive, for God to strengthen him, for God to help him be all that he should be. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. So we see his requests. But second of all, we'll notice his recognitions. The things that he recognizes in this section. Verse number 155. He says, Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. This recognition comes right on the heels of him asking God to quicken him according to his word. You know, in a very real sense, you and I are dependent upon the word of God for our life. Jesus said it this way, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. You see, if you're a Christian tonight, this is not optional. This is not something that is just, oh, yeah, you know, I carry my Bible with me so that other people think, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. No. This is your necessary food. This is your spiritual sustenance. This is how you live. Without the Word of God, I mean, how, how often do you go without food, without meals? Uh, me? Not very often. My, my stomach is very well regulated. And I can tell the time of day by the way that my stomach feels. My daughter is the same way. She comes by it honest. At noon, usually a little bit before noon, my stomach is telling me, hey, buddy, you better start getting some food ready because I'm about ready to eat here. And at 5, 5 p.m., it's saying the same thing again. Rain or shine doesn't matter what I'm doing. But you know, God's Word? How many of us can say that about God's Word? Oh, you know, I, I went four or five hours without meditating on Scripture. And it, I, would, I just had a hunger for God's Word. Oh, that would be true of us. Oh, that we would recognize our need for God's Word. That we would pray like David, quicken me according to thy word. And recognize how much we need God's word in our life. How much without God's word we're weak, we're helpless, we're lifeless. On the heels of praying that to God, asking God to quicken according to his word. In verse 155, he prays that prayer and recognizes that salvation is far from the wicked. It's far from the wicked. For they seek not thy statutes. You see, those that are wicked, those that they don't walk in the statutes of God, they want nothing to do with the ways of God, they've, they've judged. They have looked at God's ways and they have deemed God's ways, His statutes, as foolishness. 
They've said, ah, I don't need to do that. And as in doing such, they've cut themselves off from the only source of salvation that they have. You know how foolish it is. How foolish to judge God's statutes as unworthy of our respect. And you know, as Christians, sometimes we can do this. In situations of life, we can know what we are supposed to do. We can know the commandments that God has given us, and we can make decisions, choices to live against the the statutes of God. Certainly, there were times in David's life when he did such. But you know, when you do that, salvation is far from the wicked. Judging God's statutes as foolishness is just as foolish as someone being in an airplane that's plummeting to the ground, having a parachute offered to them and saying, no, I don't want to put it on. It's going to take too much time. It'll be too restrictive to put that parachute on. I'll just jump out of the airplane by myself and hope I make it. You say, well, what kind of person would do that? How dumb to do that. To jump out of the airplane and refuse a parachute and think that you'll be okay. But you know how foolish for someone to come to God's word, to to see his statutes and say, you know what, I'll do it my way. I'll just figure it out on my own. I think that I can make it work. I think I found a better way of living than what God says. No, salvation is far from the wicked. If you and I will have salvation. If you and I will have salvation for our souls, certainly. And if you and I will have salvation from a situation, no, we have to humble ourselves. We have to come back in line with God. We have to recognize that His statutes are the right way. That what He has prescribed, that which He has said, is the only way. Salvation is far from the wicked. David recognized that. And, you know, in recognizing that he desired, he recognized how much he needed to keep God's statutes. He reminded himself, you know what? I better keep walking in God's statutes. Those wicked out there that have forsaken God's statutes, they're far from salvation. I don't want to be far from salvation. I want to be right next to him. I want to, be, I want to have him right there ready to rescue me when I slip, when I fall. I want to be right next to the shepherd so that he can rescue me. You'll see his second recognition in verse number 157. He says, Many are my persecutors and mine enemies, yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. You see, as he looked around, he noticed that he had many that persecuted him. That sounds like a rough situation. You know, if I have one person that's persecuting me, one person that's, you know, kind of sticking it to me, trying to come after me, saying negative things about me, that's kind of rough. You know, that, that can get in your head. David here says, many are my persecutors. That doesn't sound like a, a fun way to live, a nice way to live. He had many that were his enemies. You know, in this situation, many people, what they'll do, if, if there's a crowd of people following after them and kind of persecuting, attacking them, what do people try to do? Oh, they, they might try to appease. They might try to say, well, you know what? What are, what are they attacking David for? 
for following after God, for going in God's way, for doing things God's way. If people are attacking you for that, you might be tempted to give in and say, you know what, well, I'll just I'll back off a little bit. I'll do things more their way. I won't be so brash about it. I won't, I won't be so loud about following after God. But you'll notice that's not David's attitude in this at all. He didn't want to blend in. He didn't say, you know what, let me kind of ratchet things down. Maybe let me appease this crowd so they don't persecute me so much. No, he says, yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. He says, you know what, I'm not going to back off one little bit. I'm not going to decline at all. If you were to make a graph of what I've been doing, how I've been following after God, I'm not going to let it drop one little bit. I'm not going to decline. I'm going to keep it steady. I'm going to keep following after you. And you know by doing that, he was guaranteeing that he would continue to have persecution. Guaranteeing that his enemies would still be there. But his focus was not on that. His focus was upon God. His focus was on following God. He would take the literal high road, not in an air of pride, but because he knew it to be the right and the only way to follow. You'll notice, why does he do this? Why does he continue? Why does he say, I will not decline because of the next thing that he recognized? In verse 158, he says, I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. See, as David thought about this, he stopped and he looked. He beheld the transgressors. He pondered. He thought about the end of those that transgress God's word. He thought about the end of those who want nothing to do with God's ways. As he's already mentioned in the passage, he thought about the fact that salvation is far from the wicked. And as he beheld the transgressors, he was grieved because they kept not God's word. It, it grieved his heart that they wouldn't keep God's word. Now you ask, why would it grieve David's heart? Well, I think there's probably several reasons why David's heart was grieved because they kept not God's word. You know, when you behold those that are transgressors, those that live according to the ways of this world, it'll grieve your heart. If you stop and you behold them, you see the trouble that they have in this life. The things that they bring upon themselves because they do not follow God's word. David was living in a society. He was living among people who were God's chosen people. They were those who God had brought his word to. Those to whom God had made, with whom God had made a special covenant. A covenant that said, if you keep these commandments that I have given to you, I will bless you in ways that you cannot even imagine. I mean, you read through the promises that God gave to the children of Israel. If they would but keep his commandments... Wow. He literally promised to make them over abundantly wealthy. To, to make their life so amazing here on this earth. To bless them above and beyond measure. 
if they would just walk according to the ways that he had prescribed to them. Did they? Largely? No. For brief periods of time, as different kings took rule, yeah, they did. And you know what? Every single time, God was faithful to his promise. God blessed them far and beyond what they deserved each of those times. But as David looked at those around him, as he looked at the nation, as he looked at those in leadership maybe, you think about Saul, he was grieved. He was grieved as he thought of the ruin in their lives. The ruin in the lives of the nation. You know, certainly David as a sinner, he could look at his own life and be grieved. At the times that he had been a transgressor, the times that he had not kept God's word, the times that he had not followed after him, and he recognized the ruin that it had brought in his own life. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved. Because they kept not thy word. So we've seen his requests. We've seen his recognitions. But this evening, last of all, we'll see his remembrance. In verse number 160, he ends the psalm on a high note. Remembering some things about God. Thy word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. As he reached the end of this section of Psalm 119, after pouring out his heart to God in request, after recognizing some things about himself and those around him, those that didn't keep God's word, his heart is lifted now in remembrance of God and his word. He notices, first of all, that God's word is true from the beginning. You know, God's word has always been true. Since the beginning of time, what God has had to say is true. Not only that, God's word will continue to be true. From start to finish, from beginning to end, from eternity past and on into eternity future, God's word remains true. There is never a time, nor has there ever been a time, when what God has said is not true. I can't say that about myself. That my words are true from the beginning? Sorry, they're not. Neither are yours. Neither are the words of anyone who's ever lived, save for Jesus Christ. The words of man are polluted. The words of man are tainted. They are twisted. You know, even when we try to be honest, when we try to be forthright sometimes, we just mess up the facts. If you've ever read accident reports or witness statements from events, you begin to compare the accounts that different people have. And you find wildly varying accounts from people who are being honest. They're telling you what they saw happen. And oftentimes what they saw happen isn't really what happened. But they're not trying to lie to you. They're trying to tell the truth. So even when men are trying to be honest, sometimes we mess things up. But you know, God, that never happens. His word is true from the beginning. 
David recognized the purity of God's word. He recognized the faithfulness of God's word. He recognized the fact that he could build his life, he could trust his kingdom, he could trust his future to God's word. Because God's word is true from the beginning. Not only that, he goes on, he says, And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Every one of God's righteous judgments endureth forever. You know, in a way, this is just a restatement of what he has just said, that God's word is true. But he kind of expounds on it a little bit. He refers to God's judgments, the things that God has declared, his judicial declarations. He declares to them, or he talks about them, declares them as righteous. They're holy. They're sinless. The things that God judges are pure. They are righteous. Not only that, His righteous judgments endureth forever. Endureth. Endureth is an interesting word. To endure means to to suffer through, to carry on, to continue. You think about someone who enters an endurance event, an endurance athlete, and you think of something like a marathon or an ultra marathon. You know, there are people, crazy people out there who will go and who will run a 200-mile race through the mountains, not, not on like a nice flat track or something. No, they do it through the mountains, up and down, 200 miles. That's crazy. That takes some serious endurance. I don't have that kind of endurance. But you know, even those endurance athletes, they reach an end. They reach a point where their endurance runs out. And you know the judgments of mankind, the judgments even of a nation, they endure for a small period of time. You know, nations rise and fall. All of the great empires of this world, they've had judicial systems. They have made judgments, but you know, largely many of them are gone. Many of them have passed away. You think of the Roman Empire that was so powerful in Jesus' day. They're not here anymore. They're gone. They were wiped out, largely due to their own sin and infighting. But they're gone. The judgments that they declared that it one day seemed so big and powerful and heavy, weighty, they're gone. And you know, the same is true if this world endures, if God tarries His coming for any length of time, America will one day fail, will one day disappear. You you can begin to see the large cracks in the foundation even today. You know, the judgments of America are beginning to decay. They are beginning to fade away. The things that America says are largely becoming irrelevant on the world stage. But you know, God's judgments, they're righteous. And every one of them endureth forever. It endures now, and it endureth. It continues on and on and on on into eternity forever. You and I this evening, we can have confidence in God's Word. 
You want to know how you ought to live your life? How you ought to order your steps? You want to know the things that you ought to do on a daily basis? The things that you should do and shouldn't do? You want to know where you can lay up treasure that's going to last forever? You want to know how to raise a family? You want to know how to have good relationships? You want to know how to bring honor and glory to God? You want to fill in the blank. God's Word has the answers that you need. And not only that, God's Word has the right answers. It has the answers that may not be popular in the self-help section of your local bookstore. They may not be the answers that you'll get from some self-help guru who's going to give you the latest wisdom on how to fix your problems. But you know what? They are time-tested truths. They're righteous. They endure forever. David had confidence in the Word of God. He looked at those around him. He had confidence that God's Word was where it was at. That he would order his life according to God's Word. He would live according to God's statutes. He would not forget God's law. He would receive the quickening that he needed from God's Word. He would receive the quickening that he needed from God's judgments. He would receive the quickening that he needed because God is a merciful God, full of loving kindness. And you and I this evening, we can have confidence in God's word, just like David. We can base our lives and our eternities on God's word, just like David. And we can come away in confidence and say, as David did at the end of this section, thy word is true from the beginning. Every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. You know, don't be fooled by this world. Don't waste your time putting confidence in the things of this life. Don't get caught up in this world's systems, in this world's attitudes, in this world's values. But rather, come to God's word and place your confidence in him. Place your confidence in what he has said. And you will find, if you do, if you live according to his word, in eternity, you will be ever grateful. God's word is worthy of our confidence.